0: All right, well, good morning. Good to see you all today. And uh, looking forward to covering this material on forgiveness. It's been a little bit since we've been talking about it, because uh, we had some, uh, a break for Holy Week, a little bit there, and then also as um, we got to hear the Uganda report last week. So last time we talked about forgiveness was Palm Sunday, so the beginning of April, right? So, uh, good to be back. Um, it, it's interesting, as I think through this material every every week, um, there's kind of this strange experience where, on the one hand, it's very exciting, and I know it's really helpful, and it's good things. On the other hand, there's this side of it that the good news is good news which intersects uh, often our deepest hurts. And so it's this interesting thing of like, This is really great and helpful, and also it brings up and has the potential to bring up some of the most painful things we've ever experienced in our lives. And so how to navigate that is always an interesting thing. Um, I've been thinking about that just in presenting this material, and a a few things just by way of disclaimer that I think could be helpful to know um, maybe of why I'm doing this. On the one hand, we want to make things concrete, um because if we just think abstractly we may not really take it to heart very well. On the other hand, hey, welcome. It's great over here, isn't it? I know. It's the best view. It's okay. And it's this is my good side. No, I I don't I don't know what my good side is, but <laughs> Thanks, Patty. Anyhow, okay. Um but but just so you can know this. Um on the one hand, I want to make things concrete. On the other hand, I want to be sensitive to the fact that in making things concrete, if, if I'm giving example upon example, especially of areas of significant hurt, um, those things can send us in places we may not need to go this morning. And so I'm probably going to hold back on constantly giving examples of really difficult situations of forgiveness. But you can bear those in mind as we talk about it. Um, but I'm not throwing them out there just because of what that can do to our own internal state as we go there. On the, but the danger of that is if we sit here and we think about forgiveness just in terms of like one little thing that someone did to you and you're kind of like, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> and so uh, if you find yourself there of like, why are you making such a big deal about this? I would encourage you to think about significant weighty hurts that either you've experienced or you know other people have experienced. That's kind of the lens in which we're thinking through this. And if you have trouble thinking of that, you can talk to me afterwards and I can give you categories, but I don't want to just be throwing them out willy-nilly. Does that make sense? So I don't know if all that's helpful or not, but I just want to let you into the way I'm thinking about these things um, a little bit, just so you can process what's happening. Um, But I'm really looking forward to today's material. I think these things are really helpful and we're going to put some pieces together about forgiveness that maybe have been floating around for you a little bit and you've been wondering where we're going. I think today might make it a little bit more um, concrete and clarifying as we start to dial in on what it looks like to extend forgiveness. So with that said, why don't I pray and then we'll um, begin to work through our handout. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity. It's amazing that we can gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ of all ages and backgrounds and experiences, and we can come together around your word, which perfectly meets us with all that we need to hear, uh, with what we need to know about you and your love for us, with what we need to know about what it means to walk wisely in our relationships with others. We confess that it's a a humbling and daunting task to um, think about talking about these things in broader than just one-on-one conversation. And so I ask for your help. I ask for your help as we listen, that you would help us to hear um, with hearts of faith and that your spirit would help us to better understand your word. I ask for help as I speak, that what I say wouldn't be distracting, um, but that it would be edifying and that it would build up. And uh, so we know this is a supernatural work, and we ask that your spirit would help us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, just by way of review, a little bit of where we've been. This is week four in our class, and so um, Ryan began by spending two weeks talking about some definitions and some misunderstandings that we can bring to the table with forgiveness. Um, And so I, I think those were really helpful things to lay out. Last time, we were talking about embracing God's forgiveness, and so when we think about forgiving, the scriptures tell us that it is supposed to be like God forgives us. and so a key verse for that is ephesians 4:32 "Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you." So we see God's forgiveness of us being the model that will shape our understanding of forgiveness. Um, and so but we had to deal with some kind of um, maybe misconceptions that we can have about God's forgiveness. Sometimes we think that God's forgiveness is unconditional. And um, we spent time last time looking at that, that as we look at scripture and what it says about receiving God's, in particular, his justifying forgiveness, like coming to faith in Christ, that there's a condition to that, right? The condition is repentance, repentance and faith. Um, God isn't freely forgiving people who want nothing to do with him and are not turning from their sin and looking in faith to Christ. That would be unconditional forgiveness, right? I just forgive you all. That's not what scripture holds out. Um, Even though it holds out this amazing love and welcome, and no matter what you've done, you can receive that forgiveness when you repent. Um, There is a conditionality to it, and that's important to remember. Um, so we talked about that a little bit. Um, and then we also talked about how even God's forgiveness is not exactly forgetting. You know, sometimes we think about forgiveness in terms of the phrase, forgive and forget. Um, what, does, what is Scripture doing when it talks about these things? Can God actually forget what we've done? No, an all-knowing God doesn't erase that from his knowledge there's all kinds of we could spend a lot of time talking about how that works but I, I think just kind of bottom line is an all-knowing god doesn't forget or not know things um but what it does mean in scripture which speaks robustly about how in his forgiveness he removes that sin from the way he relates to us in many ways um that that's what's often going on there um Forgiveness being a way of relating to someone, um, relating to the offender. So as far as the East is from the West, he removes our transgressions from us, um, Psalm 103.12. Isaiah speaks of God casting all the prophets' sins behind his back, Isaiah 38.17. Those are helpful pictures, Um, not forgetting that thing, but changing how he relates to us in the midst of it through the lens of forgiveness. And that's helpful for us to realize because if our forgiving is like God's forgiveness, um, there are similarities to it. If we're called to forgive as God forgives, there's an aspect in which we will seek to not have what happened at the forefront of our minds. But we won't be able to forget as completely as God forgets many times. Um, Just the embodied experience we have of something happening to us um, many times that 's not going to be erased from our minds or even our embodied consciousness, but what is forgiveness it 's an agreement to continue to relate to the person in light of having forgiven them, and that 's what God does, and that 's what we can do as well okay so so that 's where we went last week and, and you can review some of that and we can flesh out more of that um, I think and then this week we 'll start to talk about what does that look like as we do this for one another? We're going we're to get that, get there more concretely. Um, but one last part, at the beginning of your handout, you'll notice last time we didn't get to point three. Um, and so it's, it's kind of continuing these um, ways of thinking about forgiveness, especially receiving God's forgiveness. And it's, you know, it's not unconditional, it's not forgetting. And then point three was, what about forgiving ourselves? What about forgiving ourselves? And so um, we're going to pick up there. And then just so you know, like if you look inside your handout, points two and three, then kind of shift into talking about how do we forgive each other. Um, but we're still talking a little bit about broader forgiveness ideas here with point one. When you hear the phrase, I just need to forgive myself. How do you feel about that phrase? What? Well, I can ask it two ways. I'm very comfortable with saying, how do you feel about that? Some people like it phrased this way. What do you think about that? So whichever you prefer, uh, good, bad, thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, It can elicit different reactions, right? Um, It's something that we hear all the time as maybe you watch shows or listen to people talk. Um, Some of us may think that phrase is okay. Um, understand what it's getting at. Others may think it's just a pop psychology phrase that's alien to scripture. Um, Some of us might even have a word allergy to it. Some of the things that we're going to talk about today, we may have word allergies for. What's a word allergy? Um, We hear a phrase and all we think, instead of sneezing, it's, (laughs) that's not true. (laughs) That's not right. And it just shuts everything down. Um, I think what's helpful in the things we'll be talking about today and really in the Christian life in general, our society right now is all about word allergies. It's all about hot button phrases, hearing them and freaking out about them, right? I could throw out 10 phrases right now that would just, some of your blood would be boiling if I said it, just because they're used as such weighty words that elicit a response that's this all or nothing thing, right? Right. Um, And unfortunately, what happens is that shuts down conversation when we have a word allergy. What we want to have happen is our gut response isn't just, that's wrong, and shut it down, but it should be, what do you mean by that? (laughs) What are you trying to express? And I think this phrase, forgiving myself, is one of the most important things as we're relating to other people or thinking about our own hearts of don't shut it down, but ask why it's there. Where is that coming from? Um, so if we if we hear someone else say, you know, um, I know this happened and I've been wrestling with forgiveness, but I just can't forgive myself. Um, what it should elicit in us is, where is that coming from? What are they trying? How how does that phrase give a handle to something they're feeling? Also, if we think about ourselves and we've sought forgiveness about something, and it's just this nagging thing, and and it feels like these words, I just can't forgive myself. There's something going on with me internally. It probes the question, where's that coming from? Why is that a feeling that we have? well, Brad Hamburg gives one, two, three, four, five um, um, things categories of, of what this could be before we get to those though let's let's think about the question: do we need to forgive ourselves? if we think in terms of scripture's primary metaphor of forgiveness, it's cancelling a debt, right Someone sins against us it incurs a sin debt and forgiveness says I canceled that debt um, that you have that you've incurred is probably the best way to say that so if we talk about forgiving ourselves in light of that metaphor then the question becomes can we be in debt to ourselves that gets kind of tricky to do right Um, Some of you might be creative enough to think about how this can happen, Um, and maybe it can, but I think for the most part when we think about it, it's like, yeah, that's not really how that works. Um, Also, it raises the question, can we be both the debtor and the lender in the same transaction? I don't have ways of understanding how that works. It seems like if you are that, you'll be busted for tax fraud (laughs) like it seems problematic right Um, so if we think about it in terms of the primary metaphor of debt cancellation it's like yeah you're not in debt to yourself when you do something wrong to someone else like that's not how that works Um, so that's one way of thinking about it the the other thing that i think is helpful just to say outright is if we search the scriptures they never speak of actually forgiving ourselves We're never called to grant forgiveness to ourselves. And so that's why when we hear the phrase, I just can't forgive myself, um, it's good and right to realize, yeah, I don't think that's the scriptural handle we're looking for. I don't think that's the right category that's going to address what you're feeling. But then from that we say, well, what categories are you wrestling with? Why is this feeling there of needing to forgive yourself? Um, And so what we're looking for in a situation like this is what categories most apply. I want to move through these relatively quickly so we can get to the heart of what we're talking about. But here are some possibilities. It could be because your repentance is ambiguous. Maybe you never clearly repented or the other person. So in everything I'm saying, think it could be you if you're feeling this way or the other person, if they're expressing this, um, They're hoping to feel emotional relief from just feeling bad enough for long enough, but never specifically articulated what wrong was done and sought forgiveness for that. That could be a reason someone says, I just can't forgive myself. And so the remedy for that feeling is real, specific repentance about the sins that happened. Another uh, reason a person could feel that they just need to forgive themselves is they're in a penance mindset mindset. Um, it's similar to the to what we just talked about, about ambiguous repentance, but penance is more active than ambiguous. Um, it's realizing that what we did was really bad and then trying to do a lot to make it better. But the problem with it is how much penance is ever enough to make the feelings of needing to be, be forgiven um, go away. And so the remedy for this penance mindset is to realize that Jesus did enough to make things right because we could never do enough to actually make things right. That's part of what seeking forgiveness is actually acknowledging is there's no way I can make this right. I did this wrong. Forgiveness is the only thing um, that can help. And so humbly accepting his gift of forgiveness with humility will help us with this internal feeling of not being forgiven Um, Sometimes we might feel like we need to forgive ourselves because we're mistaking consequences for punishment. Um, The consequences of our sin can make us feel regret, right? When we hurt someone by what we say or do, we often feel regret about having done that. The problem is regret can feel a lot like guilt, right? It can feel a lot like guilt, um, and so we, need a, we feel like we need a remedy to the guilt when the forgiveness has taken care of the guilt part of it, right? But the regret part of it is still there as a feeling, uh, still there as an experience. And so part of this might just be expressing, I need to grieve the consequences of my sin. Um, it's not so much that I need that there needs to be some further level of forgiveness or I need to forgive myself. Some of this is just realizing when I did that thing, there were real consequences that came. I really hurt that person. I really changed the life trajectory of someone. Our, our family system is forever altered, maybe. Maybe. Those are consequences of doing things in a human world that forgiveness takes care of the guilt of that but there's room for grief of what that change has wrought um, it's loss it's to be lamented right and what what happens as we process this grief and I, I say process because it's a process like this isn't like boom done now now it's all okay and I never think about that again um, but processing this grief eventually brings us to a place where we can embrace the life ahead despite the loss of what happened, right? And we can hold those things together. That's, that's what happens as we process all grief. And so it's important to realize that consequences in the realm of having been forgiven by God, and especially if we have the blessing of being forgiven by the other person, consequences are not a sign of God's ongoing anger, that has all been settled at the cross, right? Guilt taken care of. But for regret, healthy grief can do what self-forgiveness never will, right? It's not a self-forgiveness problem. It's a grief over what I've done problem. Um, I know I'm just throwing these things out there, but they're just things to, to muse upon as we encounter this experience. And we could always talk further if if you have specific questions about it. Another option is that it's butting up against our pride when we find ourselves saying, I just can't forgive myself. Um, And and you'll often hear this expressed this way. I know that God has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. And what that can be, it's not always, but it can be a form of pride. It can be a refusal to give God the last word. (laughs) It can be saying, I know better than God how bad this sin was and what his capacity is to forgive. Um, and we can wrestle with that. And so what can be helpful is to realize that his word and his verdict is like the Supreme Court when it comes to forgiveness. It, It renders all the lesser verdicts void, null and void, right? It's his word that matters most, and we submit humbly before his verdict about us and about what we have done. And so that can help us um, as we as we humbly believe what God says about us and what he says about our sin, it can help battle what can be a prideful expression of, I'm going to hold on to this because I know better than God about it. And then the last category, um, sometimes if if we're finding ourselves saying, oh man, I just can't forgive myself, or we're talking to someone else who's struggled with something they've done and they're like, I, I just can't forgive myself, sometimes it's a covert way of saying we're still committing the same sin and we feel guilty about it. You know, so like an example that could come to mind is, um, sorry, just trying to carefully think through examples, but an example we could use is a struggle with pornography, right? And um, someone transgresses in particular against their spouse. They've been looking at pornography. They seek their spouse's forgiveness and their spouse grants forgiveness, there's a rebuilding of trust, we'll be talking about what that looks like, but the person keeps saying, I just can't forgive myself about it. Part of what could be happening in a situation like that, not that it always is, but part of what could be happening is, they know deep down they're still looking at it, or they know deep down they're still taking all the steps that every time before have led to looking at it. And they haven't actually made the changes and repented in the form of really doing something about it. And so it gets labeled as I'm just having trouble forgiving myself about it. But it could be warning bells going off of, I know what I'm doing. I just can't bring myself to say that. Um, So I debated not even talking about this today because it just feels like it's opening up like cans of worms. Like here are worms everywhere. Have some worms. Um, But I want you to go home and think about these worms. And um, it can be helpful just to realize, again, for your own heart or as you're talking to someone else and this kind of language comes to you, it can be helpful to just think, what category might this be? And to explore that in your own heart or someone else's heart, okay? And so just being aware of what these can be can lead to further thought, and I'm happy to talk more about any of them. Um, Okay, so those are some ways to think about the tension with forgiving ourselves. Not what we see in scripture, but often indicative of something more going on that should be wrestled with. Summary. All right, well let's talk then about aspects of forgiveness. Um, When we talk now about two people and forgiveness happening, um, what all is going on in that process? And what better way to think about it than with a stick figure drawing, right? Because life is that simple. (laughs) And I am that good of a drawer. Okay. Um, You know, when we were talking about forgiveness um, not being unconditional and things like that, I think it raises attention for people of like, wait a minute, are you saying we don't have to forgive Are you saying we can just be jerks to people? Like, (laughs) what's going on? This doesn't sound really Christian. Um, And so I I think what's helpful to step back and realize is the overarching command that we are called to do to every person, regardless of who they are or what they have done, is not forgive. But the overarching command is to love, right? The overarching command of the context of any relationship we find ourselves in, even with our enemies who have profoundly hurt us, is a context of love. But love um, is to be a wise love. And I think this is where we might lose it sometimes as Christians or not not think well about it. Um, The most profoundly evil people in history we have an ability as Christians to say, I can truly love that person, um, but that love is going to look very different from how I love um, someone who's not responding to me in a profoundly evil way, right? Um, And so that's good to realize. What makes the difference? Wisdom. Um, Philippians 1, 9 and 10 we hear Paul's prayer, and, and we could illustrate this with all kinds of portions of Scripture, but I just find it fascinating that Paul says this, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Growing love, right, in Christ. With, no, with all knowledge and all discernment. A discerning love is what we're called to. Um, so we're called to a discerning love to the people we encounter, those closest to us, our neighbors, those distant from us, this, this posture of love that can mirror God's love. Um, and so as we talk about forgiveness, what it's never saying is you can hate this other person or you can well we'll just we'll just leave it at that, but it's always in this question this context of what does it mean to wisely love this person who has greatly wronged me or other people? That's the question we're kind of always trying to ask right um, in human relationships, sin occurs right Wrong is done from one person against another person now. We know a lot of times in our relationships, <laughs> it, it's not even as simple as that. Like there may be a big wrong that's done this way and then little wrongs come back or maybe they're both big wrongs or whatever. But just for the sake of talking about forgiveness, let's, let's talk about a situation where um, one person clearly does something that's wrong to another person, says something profoundly hurtful, lies, um, takes advantage of, all, all kinds of things that way. Um, When this occurs, this is where the category of forgiveness comes in. It's the question of how do I wisely love someone who has wronged me? And in an ideal circumstance, what happens is this person realizes they're wrong. They confess that and and are are repenting of it, saying, I realize that was wrong and I'm seeking to turn from that way of relating to you. And they seek forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And then forgiveness is granted, and what we talk about happening is that debt of that hurt being done is canceled. But the other dynamic in the whole thing is, well, what about trust? And what does the re- what does it look like to wisely relate to this person who, even though I have canceled the debt of this sin, um, still need to relate wisely to them as I interact? And so, um, there's an aspect of rebuilding trust. And there's an aspect which, which I think is usually tied to reconciliation, which is speaking about what does this person-to-person interaction um, continue to look like? And so that's, that's a process that takes place. Um, and so when we think about this in the simplest scenario what we're describing here with the forgiving, the canceling of a debt like that, is what I and other people would call transactional, transaction, or you could just call it transaction, forgiveness. Um, Notice that it takes um, two people to do that. It takes this person realizing their sin, confessing it, and repenting, and seeking forgiveness, and it takes this person granting forgiveness and canceling that debt. Um, but what happens when this person um, isn't there? In the whole process, isn't seeking your forgiveness isn't repentant. Um, this this can look several different ways. It's not always clear why what's what's happening, right? It can take time for us to see this, but it can be as as simple as just a hard hearted refusal. That wasn't wrong. You should be okay. Um, I know it was wrong, and I don't care. <laughs> the, these responses happen, right? Um, when One of the things that comes to my mind with this is when there's um, these horrific events, like I, I was thinking back to the Oklahoma City bombing and Columbine, it was 420 not too long ago, so Columbine happened on 420, all kinds of other horrible things. Um, school shootings, which you hear about all the time. Um, and you see people holding signs sometimes that say, we forgive you. And I remember that in, in some of these situations where the person who has just murdered other people is not repentant at all, doesn't even care that they've done that. And people, often Christians, are are holding signs saying, we forgive you. I think that's um, mistaken. You could maybe hold a sign that says, we love you, but to say we forgive you is premature because this person isn't even repenting of what they're doing. And in order for forgiveness to take place, transactional forgiveness at least, forgiveness in its ideal form, both parties have to be willing to engage on that level. And so it could be hard-hearted refusal like that. It could be the person doesn't really yet see what they've done and, how, and the harm that they're causing. There could be a blindness to it, but yet that harm is still happening. Um, it could be manipulative repentance. They're saying they're sorry about something, but they're not genuinely repentant. Next week, that's our whole class, pretty much. Manipulative <laughs> repentance, because it's a a difficult category. Um, and so we'll unpack that a bit. Uh, the other reason this may not be able to happen is because that person isn't in your life. Sometimes people enter our lives hurt us and then are never in our lives again. Sometimes there's great distance that just develops over time. Sometimes the person who hurt us is no longer alive and never sought our um, forgiveness, right? So what about that? Um, I think what's helpful to realize is in those situations, transactional forgiveness cannot occur, um, transactional forgiveness cannot occur. And so that's important to realize. And yet we find in scripture this call to wisely love and we, call, we find this call to forgive our debts or our debtors as our debts have been forgiven. And so the pursuit that I think we're called to as believers, I would, just, I would call a heart of forgiveness or a forgiving heart or whatever else you'd like to call it that isn't transactional. Understanding that if a person is not seeking our forgiveness, to call what's taking place forgiveness, like I have forgiven them, It it can bring baggage with it that isn't quite true, and it can, uh, I think, shortchange the work that God is trying to do. I think it can be helpful to say, I have a forgiving heart toward them. I would love to forgive them, especially if the other person's still alive. Um, What we're able to say is, um, I'm taking that before the Lord. I have forgiven them in my heart, you could even say, and I long to be able to forgive them, I think showing that there hasn't been the transactional thing is helpful because it speaks truthfully of what's taken place and shows that at the ideal level that God is holding out, we would want to have happen, that hasn't been able to occur. Um, and so let's think for a moment about what forgiveness looks like, and, and especially this heart of forgiveness, because I think putting some flesh on it can be helpful. Brad Hambrick describes it this way. Unforgiveness, or I would say like a heart of unforgiveness, says some combination of the following. I want bad for you. I would be disappointed if good things happened to you. I want you to suffer in ways that are comparable to how you made me feel. You are a distraction from me enjoying a normal day. The world would feel morally out of order if good things happened to you. Those are signs of an unforgiving heart or a heart that needs to grow in forgiveness. And and I don't mean unforgiving and like I'm hardened and I'm not going to do it. (laughs) We can feel those things and say, okay, the Lord needs to do work in my heart to get me out of that place because that place is outside the bounds of what wise love would look like. Um, wishing ill on another person in a way that I don't think we're called to do. Forgiveness, on the flip side, says some combination of this I want good for you. I want you to come to know God's forgiveness and freedom. I want God to change you into the kind of person who would not do again what you did. And then I want you to flourish. I want the freedom to enjoy the good things in my life without comparing them to the good things in your life. Now that, do you hear how when you hear that heart condition, that sounds like love, right? And if we're there or, you know, none of these things are like, I'm 100% there every day, every moment of every day, right? Especially um, when you think that, the last thing that this person did to you was something so bad that Jesus had to die for it, which is the reality of any time forgiveness is needed, right? That one sin, as great or small as it is, was a cross-worthy sin. Um, When you think about that, though, it's an amazing thing for God to so work in our hearts that that is our posture toward this person whether or not, you see how that can happen regardless of where they are on their whole repentance journey. Um, and so when we think of, as a Christian, I'm called to forgive, right? When we say that sentence. And um, being around church people a lot and talking with them about life, that's one thing that I often hear um, Someone did something that was very hurtful, and the next thing, I, I know I need to forgive. I know I need to forgive them. Well, well let's slow down and just, just talk about that, though. Where, where are we in this? And part of what often happens for us that can induce all kinds of what I would think is false guilt is we, we start to confuse a heart of forgiveness toward the person with I need to transactionally forgive them and say it's all behind us when actually that can't all be behind us. I can't covenantally relate to you differently until this transactional thing has happened because you need to acknowledge it and seek my forgiveness and I need to be able to say I forgive you for doing that and now can relate to you in a different way. And that relating to you in a different way isn't like nothing's happened. We're going to talk about that next. Um, And so when we as Christians hear that we're called to forgive as God has forgiven us, I think what's helpful to realize is where that starts and what we can always be seeking is this heart of forgiveness that's driven by love. And we can pray and make steps toward that being able to, to one day be transactional forgiveness and being able to grant that to someone um, relationally. Um, uh, I am pondering if I should open it up for questions or should just keep going. So make a face that tells me what I should do and I'll try and read it. I see hands in the air. Does that mean... Take questions. Okay. Caleb, we're going to use that microphone. Um, I'm going to just take like five minutes worth so we can talk about boundaries because it's really important. Okay. Um, yeah, Kevin.
1: Um, sometimes the situation is the the person that has hurt you doesn't feel like um, it was a real hurt. Yeah. And they may even feel justified in what they've done, and they also, um, so there's a sense in which we need to understand why they feel that way, and maybe there is something that we've done that um, also we need to ask their forgiveness. So it's, I think it seldom is one-sided, often we have to um, examine ourselves in the process, but that all comes even before the idea of of um, forgiving one another. I guess what I'm saying is sometimes their hardness can be broken down when we're trying to understand how they feel, why they came to do what they did.
0: That's true. You know? Yes. Yeah, and so it's um, always good to examine our own hearts, our own actions in the whole situation. Often... There are things that we have done, either in our response or what was provoking to it, that doesn't excuse the other person's sin, but are things we can seek forgiveness for. Those can all be a part of this um, to, to wrestle through as well. Mark Yeah, just real quick, as, uh, as
1: you were talking about the non-transactional yeah. forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. A scripture came to mind that I just wanted to throw out there that I think captures what you're talking about, and that's uh, Proverbs 19.11. It says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So to overlook in love, I think, is, is really a part of what you're talking about here, mm-hmm. that every offense doesn't necessarily... There can be a reconciliation that occurs based on how I'm looking at that that offense. And usually those are the smaller ones, you know. Uh, but nevertheless, I don't. There doesn't always have to be a transaction that occurs. So I think that that is really helpful in terms of uh, wise and discerning love. Proverbs good. nineteen eleven.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, wise love sometimes has us covering an offense. Um, another one is Proverbs seventeen nine. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Um, but then also Proverbs 27 5 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. So, this whole how do we love someone wisely is is this an offense that I can cover? Or is this one that demands a rebuke? And a rebuke doesn't mean screaming at someone, but it might say, hey, that was wrong and I would like to forgive you for it, but we need to talk about it, right? And so, uh yeah, none of this is easy, um, but it's all this spirit-empowered work that God wants us to be on a journey looking for how we can walk it, right? It's really good. Um, Steph, did you have a question? And then this will probably be it unless she throws a bunch of worms on the floor. That uh, No, good.
1: So I guess in my, my Stephanie-ness, I, I it feels very like um forgiver heavy. so is it it's like a is it like a process? because I know as Christians a lot of times we're like, we need to slap forgiveness on that and move on. yeah, are we talking like for like big things? yeah, um, like it's okay for me to sit in like the pain of the you know what I mean? Sure. like quick forgive it and move on or like, yeah, is there more? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I I think um I, I think what you're asking is is this a, a simple thing that we just slap onto things, especially with deep hurts? And um the answer is no. Um you can see how again, the bigger this I mean part of what I think of when I think of these is like, okay, that's a that's a normal thing. Sometimes what's done is like i mean that that arrow gets but like very very dehumanizing image destroying things that happen and so the greater that arrow and and that arrow isn't solely mitigated on what type of sin it was the the way that arrow hits us the way that wrong hits us can be very much determined by things in our own hearts our own experience our own life story is it a is it a pattern of something i mean this how this hits us is on a major scale of all kinds of things. And so along with that, um, it it can sound so simple to talk about this, of like, yeah, move to a heart of forgiveness. You wish good for them. Um, That's a wrestling process. And also, I, I think we can, before God, often say, I'm seeking to have a heart of forgiveness. Lord, give me a heart of forgiveness. Or even after forgiveness transactionally has happened, it's still a wrestling of seeking to live by what you know God wants to empower you to do. But it's, it's um, not easy. And then there are layers of ongoing, often grief with that, of realizing over time how much when this hit you, how much you lost in it, not just the person who did it, but the person on the receiving end. And that's a whole process of grief and lament and all that. So everything about this is imperfect process journey, especially the larger um, the larger the effect it, it has on you. Thanks. That was helpful. Um, good. Okay, let's talk about forgiveness and boundaries. A nice, simple thing. Just c- That's facetious. Um, I'm going to leave this on here for now. Um, depending on your background or how you have heard things, boundaries may be a loaded word for you, like Christians don't say that. Boundaries may be a great word of like, that book changed my life and I love it. Or it might be neutral. Why are you even, why do we care? <laughs> Let's just talk about it. Um, so some people use, like, find boundaries really helpful because it combats this idea that we may wrongly have that Christians should just be a doormat. That being a Christian just means, like, someone punches you, you stand up, you get punched again, like, you just keep doing that, and that's the Christian thing, um, um, others may push back against boundaries, think it's kind of a not Christian idea because Jesus crossed all kinds of boundaries and has a boundary crossing love. And so if we're called to love, like how how are we erecting walls, like what's the deal with that? So um, the word boundaries can have baggage. Every word has baggage, I think. It just depends how much you've been exposed to its baggage or not. And again, like like thinking about the word allergies um, that we may have with the phrase, I need to forgive myself, I think it's good to not have word allergies to this concept of boundaries and instead say, what is it seeking to convey? If you can find a better term for it that's helpful to you, then that's fine. Um, But I want to think about the idea of boundaries in this context of wise love. Um, Wise love. Boundaries can be a helpful tool for wise love when there has been hurt in a relationship, right? How do you re-engage with a person who has done this to you? Um, Forgiveness deals with an aspect of this. It deals with the guilt aspect of it, of I am declaring you debt-free in that sense. But that doesn't answer how do I then relate to you. And so, you know, you can think of kind of two extremes. One extreme is there's no boundary set up and everything goes back to the way it was. That can be very foolish. That can actually be a very unloving thing. Toward the offender, toward yourself, uh, toward your family or other potential victims or whatever. Um, So in some situations, anyhow, that can be one way of thinking about it. The other extreme is we just erect walls everywhere (laughs) that cut off relationships and seek to keep us from getting hurt. Both of those are unhelpful extremes about the And so let's think about this biblically for a minute. When the scriptures call us to wise love, part of where we find so much of what wisdom is, is in the book of Proverbs. And I just want you to hear these things. The Bible calls us to adjust our actions toward another person based on their behavior. Let me just let that sit for a moment. Because I think as Christians, we might think love means we don't do that wise love calls us to adjust our actions toward another person based on their behavior and so let me give you a few examples don't trust a treacherous person proverbs 25:19 if someone proves themselves to be treacherous it becomes unwise to trust them it's folly to do that and we're to stay away from folly consider how to respond to a fool sometimes you answer a fool sometimes you don't answer a fool and you don't engage proverbs 25 or 26 4 and 5 if you want to you know answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes when someone proves to be a scoffer and if you think about Kind of the categories Proverbs gives. We kind of have like simpleton, which might be like unknowingly hurting. Then you have like a fool who's probably been told and started like this is foolish behavior. Then you have, it depends which way we're going, but scoffer, which is, has been, knows this is foolish and continues to do it to the detriment of other people, right? Has been at least told that and continues headlong in that way of acting. Scoffing is a big deal in Proverbs, but when someone proves to be a scoffer, driving them out of your life may be necessary. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. The wise response to a scoffer may be to drive them out of the relational orbit that they're in. We also see this happening in church discipline and things like that, but that's a different layer to it. Also, we are to limit our relationships with angry, wrathful people. Are you an angry, wrathful person? I am not to be good friends with you. It is foolishness for me to do that. Um, Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with a man or person given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. As Christians, we're not to be seeking to ensnare ourselves; <laughs> we're to be seeking to be free from snares, so we can greatly love other people, right, and love love God in that. Um, We mentioned before with what Mark said, sometimes love is covering an offense. Sometimes it's a rebuke, depending upon what that person did and how it affects us. Um, There's wisdom with that. Um, Proverbs 17.9, Proverbs 27.5, those are things that I mentioned. As we saw briefly last week, Jesus was wise in how he engaged with other people. And yet he was always perfectly wisely loving to everyone he encountered. And that's just an amazing thing. He invited people into relationship, but then he would also rebuke them and say, you call me Lord, Lord, but you're not doing what I tell you to do. What's going on here? Or um, the rich young ruler, it says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. But then he said truth to him that he knew would result in essentially severing the relationship unless the man turned and repented of his love of wealth. Um, And he didn't entrust himself to people when they revealed a duplicitous heart. And so scripture calls us to this. Is that surprising to you? I find it surprising. Like reading that list, I'm just like, ooh that doesn't sound very smiley sunday <laughs> right it sounds like oh that that's unloving but but realizing my category of wise love can be very anemic right that love often for us means smiling and going along with whatever the person wants and that's not wise love and scripture calls us to something different and so i want to just talk with the few minutes we have remaining when I say the word boundaries, I, th- I just think we can think of them as a helpful tool that can, especially in situations where offense has occurred, right, um, it can help separate wisdom from folly. Um, a wrong way to think about boundaries is this. Because you did this to me, these are bricks. I I erect a brick wall. And now the relationship is severed. And and what we mean by, I mean, sometime a relationship might need to be severed, but the wrong way is, and I don't need to, whoa, (laughs) wisely use a whiteboard anymore. Uh, I don't need to wisely love you anymore. Okay, that's, that's wrong. That's not what we're talking about. But boundaries can be a tool that says, you know what? When we interact, this is what happens. Anger Deceit, um, harmful words, sword thrusts coming from your mouth, manipulative ways, all kinds of like there could be all kinds of things here that tend to come at us in the context of this relationship. And a boundary could just be saying, I am not here to enable your foolishness, and I'm not allowed to respond to you in a foolish way. And so, therefore, I'm putting up this limitation here that this part of our interaction is good and can come through. But when we interact in these ways, this happens so much that I think this is a way of keeping some of that folly from happening, right? And so, like, one, like, kind of a simple one could just be, um, um, we're not going to engage about difficult topics after a certain time at night, right? When we do, (laughs) I'm not in a good place, you're not in a good place, let's just agree. See, it's not a severing relationship. Those things are important, and we need to talk about those. But I've just realized it it tends to be foolish when we do it this way. It could be, I've realized in the context of our relationship, this is a hot-button issue, and when we talk about it, um, I walk away sinned against. Maybe I sin as well. When we talk about this issue, we need to have someone else present. See how that's like a boundary, but what it is, is actually, it's not a keep away, it's an invitation to wise love. Here's a way we could wisely grow in loving each other by taking certain things off the table that continue to present themselves as folly abounds. Um, and so boundaries are an invitation to wise love. I want a relationship with you. I want it to grow. I want to rebuild trust so we can wisely love each other. Here are some ways that you can wisely love me and I can wisely love you. You know, not calling in the middle of the night unless it's an emergency. Write those things down and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, I'm not going to be giving you money right now until further steps are taken and how you use the money I give you. Um, I'm not going to engage about this without another person present. I'm not going to talk about these things via text, because every time we do, it goes south. Um, Those types of things can be invitations to wise love. Um, And what these are helpful for is when trust has been broken because of what has transpired, right? And so it's, it's realizing that these situations are especially provoking for that type of hurt or sin to take place again. Um, we're not to be the foolish police, the foolishness police, where we just go around being like, I think you're a fool. I think you're a fool. Um, because the reality of wisdom is, um, it's really hard to tell if someone else is being foolish or not, right? wisdom means that there's a, there's a lot of latitude and there's um, heart things and all kinds of stuff that sometimes our assessment from the outside isn't even that valid. So we're not just walking around being like, I need to stop you from doing what I think is foolish. No, that's not what we're called to. But, but the closer those things intersect to our lives, the more their foolishness is affecting us or perhaps the people in our family or the people in our church or, you know, whatever your realm of oversight may be, um, that's where we have to enforce saying, I can't just enable your foolishness and not do things to change that from continuing to happen. And that's what those Proverbs are kind of talking about. And so the last thing I want to say about boundaries is... um, They separate wisdom from folly. They're an invitation to wise love. And then also, boundaries aren't for everything. They're not a universal tool. Um, They're most useful in unsafe contexts where you're seeking to limit folly and sin happening. Um, As relationships move into more health and trusting intimacy, there's often less need for boundaries to happen but they're especially helpful when we're rebuilding something where a lot of damage has occurred. And they're wise in that context. As we move into a more healthy relationship where trust has been rebuilt over time, then it more becomes responding to the other person's felt needs, and it's this back and forth of um, becoming aware of how to better love the person, compromising in that, this balanced give and take for preferences, rather than having to set up boundaries to keep folly from taking place. So So those are the things I was hoping to cover today that help to continue to give us tools as we think about relating to each other in wise love. And I just want to close with this. When we realize how complicated this is on a human level, it's amazing to think about how God is with us, isn't it? That his love toward us is always perfectly wise. And the huge difference when it comes to God's love toward us is he knows exactly what we've done. He knows where our hearts are. He knows exactly what we need. Where in all this stuff, this is because we don't know everything and we have to respond on this this creaturely human level to it. But when it comes to God, we always have the opportunity to avail ourselves of his perfect, wise, welcoming, unrelenting love toward us. And it's one that's always extending this call of, come to me in dependence, in repentance, in faith, and I shower you with love and intimacy and affection. And what that does is that helps us when we are on this side of this, where we have hurt other people, and we're dealing with the consequences of that hurt, we can continue to know the beautiful love of God that's unchanging in the midst of that. And it also helps us when we're the ones who have been hurt, um, that we can look to God's perfectly wise love and ask that we would model it as we're able. And we can also know that perfect love even as we seek to walk out the difficulties of moving in a heart of forgiveness, um, toward another person who's deeply hurt us. Um, the more we understand that, the more we can walk through the messiness of this on a human level. Um, so what's amazing is we'll have a break and we'll talk to each other and then we come back and we get to hear about that amazing love and celebrate it in the Lord's supper as well. So let me pray. And then, um, Again, if you have questions, feel free to email me and Ryan, and we would love to make sure we work those things into the class. If we have opportunity to talk, I'm happy to do that as well. Father in heaven, we thank you for the forgiveness that you give us. It's an amazing thing to think that if we confess that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that one day we'll be people who never sin against you or anyone else again how we long for that day. In the meantime, we thank you for this opportunity we have to forgive as you have forgiven us in Christ. We confess that it's complicated. Our hearts um, are often weak. We need wisdom, and often we're impatient, and all kinds of things complicate this. And so we bring our needs and our cares and our hurts to you in dependence, asking that you would meet us, that you would bind up our wounds, that you would heal our brokenness, that you would fill us with your love, that you would give us the mind of Christ so that we can interact wisely with one another as,
1: as you interact with us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.